0: Hi everyone, it's Jen DeWall. And in this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast, I sat down with Sinead sharkey Steenson to talk about bridging the confidence gap. Now, I know what you're thinking. Actually, some of you might be thinking, I don't struggle with confidence, so I'm just gonna walk away. But there's a lot more to understanding what confidence is, how to tell when we have it, or how to build it when we don't. And so I would encourage you to keep an open mind. Think about how we assess other people's confidence and how we even assess our own and even open up a new way to think about how you can develop your own confidence. But before we dive into the show, let me tell you a little bit more about Sinead sharkey Steenson. Sinead is the career elevator coach at Generation Women, where she helps women get promotions and pay raises they deserve. Passionate about equality and seeing more women in leadership, Sinead blends practical strategies with simple mindset tools to achieve amazing results with several, getting over 100% pay raises and multiple promotions. There are claps to be shared there. To date, Sinead has helped close to 10,000 women take a step up. Sinead draws on over 20 years of corporate experience in HR, leadership development, business improvement, and cultural transformation to help her support women to achieve their ambitions And she has been recognized as one of 22 leaders to learn from in 2022 by Bunch Leadership App. Now, I want you to know that you might be thinking, oh, I guess I'm a man, I'm going to tune out. No, we are actually going to be talking about the differences as well in men and women and gender as it relates to the confidence gap. So enjoy our conversation on how to bridge the confidence gap. Sinead Sharky Steenson, so great to have you on the podcast today. Did I say that right that time? You got it right. Thank you so much. I'm really excited for this. This is going to be fun, I think. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we're talking today. So welcome to The Leadership Habit. We are so happy to have as our guest today, Sinead Sharky Steenson. See, I goofed it up there. I shouldn't have said it again. We're happy to have Sinead on the show today to talk about the confidence gap, which I know I'm just going to say it whoever is listening, whether or not you realize that you may have a confidence opportunity. I think sometimes people actually, you know, when they think of confidence, they think, well, I'm a confident person and they don't actually peel back the layers. So I want to invite you to be curious today on what confidence looks like and where potentially you may not be showing up with confidence, even though you might think you are. But Sinead, before we jump into the show, Let's get your origin story, because I love hearing, you know, tell us how you came to be where you are today.
1: Oh, well, I'll tell you the bit that relates to confidence, because, you know, an origin story can go on for a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, so I'll give you fair. the bit. Um, so my confidence origin story actually goes back to being a child, and I'm the youngest of four children. Uh, by quite some way and uh, I was labeled shy as around six or seven years of age and I just remember that so clearly and not that it was like a feeling I had but hi you're Sinead and you are shy that's your identity now keep it for the rest of your life and that was kind of how it felt uh, especially when I look back on it and see what it did And so roll forward many years to when I'm starting out in my career. I was really good academically and a big pleaser and high achiever and all of those things. But I went, I did, I studied psychology as my degree and came out of that degree with no idea what I was going to do. Just like, I have no direction here. Where am I going? And uh and that was that. started a series of me drifting into things, doing what seemed like the, the best option at the time. And so I did a management diploma for a couple of years and worked in HR. Um, and then I was like, no, I don't want to work in HR. Went back to school, did tech. And that was when the, the shy seven-year-old kicked right back in. So I was doing a master's in computing and information systems, as it was called back in 1999. And uh, I recognised very quickly, I was in the wrong place. My brain didn't work in the way that the rest of the people in the class did. And what the hell was I going to do? But here I am, I have no other directions to go in. And that, that imposter, that fear, the, you know, the whole thought of being speaking up and being looked at like I was stupid really kicked in. And I went off. I, did, I really did well in the course. Like I, I got just below a distinction, which was remarkable and ended up then in the workplace, in a corporate job in the total wrong thing for me and confidence was an issue again. But uh, thankfully, I uh, recognised after a few years of misery and uh, whatever that nobody could come and sort this out except for me. So off I went to to rebuild my confidence, find my direction, work out what I was going to do and uh, made huge changes to my career, thanks to a lovely boss I had then, and support. And uh, it was through working out what my strengths were, my direction, then I managed to tap into what was a more authentic confidence, a real confidence. And uh, even when I didn't know what I was doing, the imposter wasn't there the same, because I was like, I know that I'm going to work this out. And I could go with this, and I just uh, as I got through that corporate career, decided started to look at having a business. And after I'd had children, that's what I wanted to do. I thought, well, I need to help women navigate a lot of what I've gone through. So find the right career, lean into their confidence and their strength, and be able to have maximum impact
0: in what they do. Yes, and that's what we strive for. But I love that you shared an experience that i think a lot of people can relate to when you feel like you walk into a room and you look around and you're like am i am i in the wrong place here and you start to second guess maybe who you are whether you belong whether your voice matters i think that there's a lot of experiences within the workplace that can lead us to that to that feeling in that room of just not feeling like we even add value. And so if you're listening to this right now, uh, we're going to be building on this, talking about bridging that confidence gap, leveraging Sinead's experience and helping you see the the big picture because you're not alone. A lot of people struggle with confidence. I mean, tell me in your work, like I, I know that for me, I initially started as a career coach and all you really actually find is that it's all about confidence confidence determines what we do or don't do. But how do you see it in your line of work? Like, what are the situations that um, your clients are coming to you for?
1: Oh, it's a hundred percent that there's so many situations. You know, when I get somebody in front of me, whether it's online or in person, you can see the potential, you can see, you know, what's underneath, but they quite often are oblivious (laughs) to it. They don't understand what they have and how special they are and that really impacts their confidence to go for things or if they do know and there's a glimmer of that knowledge there's that uh those saboteurs in your head chipping away going um, who do you think you are I think you can do that or whatever it is that fear it is essentially pushing you back into your box to go, no, you're not going to step up today. That's not going to happen. You just stay safe there and everything will be OK. And that's what I see with women every day. They just need that bit of a strategy
0: and a bit of a shove support to take the step. It's our mindset. It's our reaction. So let's let's dive into it. What is, from your perspective, um, how do you describe what a confidence gap is for someone that's maybe curious about, do they have it? Some people are likely like, yes, I know that I struggle with confidence, but how do you describe what a confidence gap is?
1: So there's two ways of looking at it because the confidence gap that's often talked about is in terms of, is there a confidence gap between men and women Um, and Actually, in reality, there isn't. We all can suffer from a lack of confidence. Um, and the but there is a difference in how that shows up and how we what the expectations are on men versus women. So I'm sure we will delve into that a little bit later. But really, a confidence gap is a gap between what you're potentially capable of doing and what you feel comfortable and able to go and do. (laughs) So quite often there's a huge gap between how I'm feeling and what I could potentially do. And in that gap is, is so much possibility. And it's so frustrating to think that how many of us are are sitting and holding ourselves back from
0: what we could possibly do. Oh my gosh, so many. I mean, you know what's, okay, I've got a serious question because some people think that there's an art of mastery with confidence. And from my perspective and also you know, teaching that, I, I like other friends that are like, don't you teach confidence? Like, why aren't you showing up with confidence? And the thing that I always say is that it's not a destination. Any time that you're, you know, taking a risk, you're likely going to find yourself at the competence gap. But tell me from your experience, because I think there's this expectation that, you know, kind of like perfection. There's a myth that, like, oh, now I figured out all the keys and tools <laughs> until they don't work anymore. What's your perspective on
1: that? Oh, I think I'm in the camp, where. Confidence is really contextual. So, when I know my stuff, when I'm using my strengths, when I'm in my zone, I am nailing it and I'm as confident as can be, and there's no stopping me. But plant me in another situation where I don't feel I know anything, I don't know what the answers are, what I'm supposed to be talking about, how I'm supposed to be delivering. Like, if this podcast was about anything tech related, (laughs) <laughs> then I would be in my zone of terror and there would be absolute gobbledygook coming out of my mind. So I think what what people are seeing is there's certain people, there's a small percentage of the population that are able to bluff it in any situation. And they've got this veneer of, I've got this, I can talk about anything, that I can do whatever. But underneath it, everybody has, well, everybody apart from maybe the odd person has this, oh, my goodness, I'm going to be found out. I'm now wandering into a zone where I have no idea <laughs> where I am. Please, somebody rescue me. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, it's contextual. But I think there's a lot we can do to strengthen the muscle of confidence that
0: can filter out into more areas. Yeah, well, we're going to talk about more building that. How can we flex that? How can we develop our confidence muscle? But, you know, we have obviously men and women listening right now. From the perspective of confidence, what is the difference between men and women that you've noticed? Like, I know we're conditioned, we're primed in a different way. Um, What do you see?
1: We are ho- 100% prime and a lot of it will be cultural as well. And I know we are going to talk about that in a minute, but I just wanted to to, pre- to preempt that. Um, yeah, that's but, a
0: very important point that depending yeah, on where we are raised, we are going to demonstrate it differently.
1: Yeah. And especially uh, the the gender thing as well, the expectations on us. So those things overlap. But if you think about it, there's a great um, experiment was done on by a BBC show a few years ago where they got uh, parents to put their babies uh, through these different safe experiments um, <laughs> to see how differently they treated their baby if they were a boy and if they were a girl. And one of the things was putting them on this ramp to crawl down. And the parents of baby boys were cranking up the ramp really high, like, yeah, my baby's got no problem. They're, they'll get down this without without thinking. And whereas the, the parents of girls were more likely to play it safe. And so there's these expectations and ways people behave around you right from the get-go. And I know where I grew up, like the expectation at school would be you know, it was great if a boy even looked at his homework, whereas I better have my homework done and the answers all be perfect. And so, all along, we're creating this way of thinking about how girls and boys perform and behave. It's reinforced by books, it's reinforced by TV, it's reinforced by advertising. And so confidence then is a completely different beast when it comes to girls and boys because for for boys, they've been encouraged to take risks and to be loud and to do all the things And girls quite often in a lot of cultures have been encouraged to be perfect and quiet and and get on with it and not be too showy and and all of these things. So it's really interesting when you
0: roll forward to the workplace as to how that might look. Oh, my gosh. We're going to dive into that in a second. And that speaks to me because I, you know, as a woman, I think those expectations in the culture where I grew up, the woman was seen as, again, be quiet, look good, because that's also the other piece of like, put yourself together, be well-kept, mind your voice. Like, are you supposed to be participating in this conversation? And I think, I don't know how the heck I got it. It obviously dealt with my upbringing. I had to be very strong from a young age and kind of grow up really fast. And so I think I developed this sense of self and articulation that, other people didn't have. And so I felt more, and it wasn't confidence. It wasn't that. It was self-awareness and like asking questions and being more curious just because of maybe a different way of perspective because I had to grow up young. And how I would say that impacted, you know, going into that conversation, like when I was in high school, I think of descriptions that friends said, like you were overzealous. You know, I was student council president. I was this, and I was, right? I was trying to prove it to people that I was good enough. And that had to do with my own family stuff. But I always got my hand slapped for being too loud. I always got my hand slapped for not being quiet enough or for being too driven. And then going into my corporate career, I actually, you know, my first two positions that wasn't a challenge. It was my third position in a more male dominated part of the company that then that became seen as like this huge blah. And it became a weight for me that I carried around. Like I was unworthy and what in the heck was wrong with me? Why couldn't I just smile and wear a dress and do what they said?
1: Oh, <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> oh that makes me want to cry and pull my hair out right at the same yeah. time. <laughs> <Right. gasps>
0: uh-uh. I mean, and let's, cause let's talk about that. Like thinking about these conditions and this is where it's planting the seed to our audience. Like is this an opportunity to relearn the way that we look at expectations of individuals or genders and what they are supposed to look like? How are they supposed to look like? Because when that comes into the workplace, then we start to talk about that beautiful term, which you and I just talked about in the pre-show, you know, executive presence or Gravitas, but I've decided that after today, after you telling me what gravitas actually means, I don't like it. <laughs> probably because I don't have gravitas by nature of who I am. But what does executive we should probably mean? share what that means? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's so let's talk about what executive presence means. Or yeah, we'll talk you. So gravitas can be used with executive presence, leadership presence. We're going to be talking about executive presence. But for those that might be curious about what the word gravitas means, that's often used to describe this. What does it mean, Sinead?
1: Well, I actually did Google this. So it comes from the Latin and it's it's derived from serious. And I think um there's a bit too much seriousness in the workplace as it is. And do do we have impact really by how serious we are, or is it how confident and how knowledgeable and uh how we perform how we get results that should really be where our gravitas is and our presence And um, yes. but yeah this term of ex- executive presence it's one of those things that's bandied about and it's what on earth does that even actually mean <laughs> to you know and it's something you can imagine um a, a, a set of leaders sitting around a boardroom table discussing, you know, the pay rises after the performance reviews. And it'd be like, oh yeah. Well Jen's good, but she doesn't really have executive presence.
0: Well that happened to me through my life. I'm not yeah. sure no one is surprised, but that absolutely
1: <laughs> happened to me. But <laughs> well, I mean what is that? And so you have to really dig for people to say, well, what what do you actually mean? Because they'll all nod and go, oh, yes, yes, you're so right. Yeah, we we can't be promoting her. She just doesn't have the right presence. What does it mean? And I think it, it comes back to this gendered thing that we have this perception of what presence and leadership is quite often based on men, and let's face it, white men Um, because there's so much other diversity plays into this as well that holds people back and so really what they're talking about is taking up space being able to project your voice to be self-promoting you know to be assertive and lots of those things are things women get uh, knocked down for you said it yourself Jen like those were all the things that people were like oh god Jen don't be uh, don't be overzealous or you might get bossy or too big for your boots or or whatever the expression is shrill you know all these words for describing women behaving in a way that demonstrates executive presence essentially so yeah,
0: yeah. All I believe you're too much of. And I want to touch on that because executive presence, you know, I had recently read something that said, I think it was that 50% of HR professionals actually find it really difficult to define. But yet on the flip side, 70% say it's extremely easy to spot. Right. But then we have to think about bias because, I, yeah. you know, you're going to get me really lit up on this because there are just situations in my life, again, being a more direct woman, I'm loud, right? Hosting a podcast, no one's surprised. But even when it came down to presence, I had recently done uh, a speaking event and I'd asked the meeting professional in the committee before, if it would be okay, if I wore a blazer and jeans, like, Hey, the message that I'm talking about is being human. And I think I want to come up with something that's more relatable. And at the end of that event, someone came up, a lovely person came up to give me feedback. I'm not, you know, shooting the messenger. This is a great individual, but he had shared to me, Hey, Jen, I want to let you know that there's this meeting other meeting professional that came up to me afterwards. And she said, she just loved your talk. But she couldn't hire you because you wore jeans. And then he went on to say, and I know that's different because I know that men can. And in my like head, because I'm I'm thinking, is this 2022? How are we still having these conversations? And you know, I did. That was a calculated risk on my time or on my terms. I knew I was towing the line with the audience. So I am not asking for any level of pity. I knew that I was towing the line. I wanted to come off as more relatable. That is a calculated risk. It backfired. But yet it still begs the question, how are we assessing someone's performance? Is it all on the physical still where we're not even paying attention to the impact they're making? And if so, why and what are our flaws in our thinking process? I don't know takes on that. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> like
1: this. Uh- Oh, I'm so frustrated uh, as I'm sure you were. By I mean, I,
0: I cried. I cried. Right. Because I put all of my work into the stage. And so I sobbed and sobbed yeah. and I had to give myself a week to cry. Like, I'm just oh being honest. I goodness. cried. I was and like, I I can... Suck. like, why did I do that? Like, I'm so stupid. Like, you know, I went through all those emotions and it, yeah, it, it, it sucked. Like it wasn't
1: great. But, and the thing is I can imagine how brilliant your talk was. Like, What kind of world are we in that the value of your message and your impact in what you said wasn't more? That was what you were there paid to do. That's what you were representing. That's why you were there, that that wasn't it. No, a pair of jeans can undo that. And not only did he share that, but he called out the double standard and still doubled down on it. And instead of going, hold on, why do we have this double standard, pushing back to to whoever he was speaking to and saying, yeah, she wore jeans and she was amazing. Doesn't that just show that jeans don't matter? (laughs) What we wear doesn't matter. And it is so angry because not only are we um, we're creating issues from a gender perspective, but also I have a, a child who's neurodivergent and I know she is brilliant and amazing and she's going to go out into the world. She has the most creative mind and a great problem solver which is very common uh, when you've a neurodivergent brain, and comfort in what you wear, being able to wear a hoodie or whatever it is, how is that going to impact your capability at work? And I know that's taken us off on a little tangent, but it's all coming to the same thing. Surely we should be creating an environment where people can perform at their best that their confidence will come very naturally when they're supported to be who they are and valued for the impact they can have, the knowledge they bring, the, um, you know, the excellence that's within them. But yet we're willing to push all that down because of a pair of jeans.
0: (laughs) I, yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, it's, we miss the mark sometimes. We pay attention to the wrong things, but much of it is because we have our own biases that were developed. Crosscom is a global organization dedicated to developing effective leaders. Companies all over the world have seen their managers transformed into leaders through our award-winning and accredited leadership development programs. Our signature BPM program provides interactive management training with a results-oriented curriculum and prime networking opportunities. If you're interested in learning more about our flagship program and developing your managers into leaders, please visit our website to find a leadership trainer near you. Or maybe you yourself have always wanted to train and develop others. Prescom is a global franchise with ownership opportunities available throughout the world. If you have ever thought about being your own boss, owning your own business, and leveraging your leadership experience to impact businesses and leaders in your community, Prescom may be the right fit for you. We're looking for professional executives who are looking for a change and want to make a difference in people's lives. Learn more about our franchise opportunity on the Own a Franchise page of our website at Crestcom.com. So let's talk about what's appropriate, you know, how we were conditioned. If you were a, a man or a boy, what is appropriate that they can do? you know, based on how they were conditioned, because I think this is important for men to also see the flip side of that. And we'll talk about that as well. But what was encouraged in men and boys, but discouraged in girls and women? Well, I can
1: give you the perfect example of this. And this is why I I got interested in this. So one day I was taking a nap. With, one, with my children and I'd sat them down in front of the TV and they were watching a well-known uh, children's global TV channel and advertising came on. And they advertised on that uh, towards girls. It was all selfie sticks, make, you know, makeup, princessy things. It was all about appearance. And to boys, it was about risk taking, science, exploration. It was cultivating them as uh, individuals to make an impact on the world. And so, as men, we have to recognize, or they have to recognize. I can't speak for you. <laughs> <laughs> you've been you've been cultured to to be these things. But also you've been stopped from being allowed to express your feelings and, and to explore that other side of you that exists in all of us. You know, we're not comfortable with boys playing with dolls and that kind of thing. And so we've each got to challenge ourselves to look at what's that done to shape your thinking And like, you know, the guy with the jeans is such a perfect example. Like he even knew as the words were coming out of his mouth that he was wrong. Well, catch yourself and question it. You know, why am I thinking that this is okay? How can I be part of the solution instead
0: of propagating the problem? Oh, my gosh, I love that. Because, again, I want to emphasize that the individual that shared that to me or shared that with me was actually great, and he yeah, is very so. highly regarded. And no, he is. But I think, and I, I knew the moment that he was saying it, I could see in his eyes, like, oh God, I, don't, uh, uh, it's coming. I could see it in his eyes, of like, I shouldn't have said that. Like, I yeah. don't think it was any ill intent. No. I actually think he was trying to help me. But it does beg the question of what allyship also needs to look like in yeah. a workplace. Of like, hey, you know, I bet if you talk to her. She could also not wear jeans. <laughs> As I look to my closet over there and see all of my dresses and professional attire because I worked in corporate America for a long time. You know, yes. and I actually love dressing oh, up. I was just trying to like add into my message. You know, it was a failure. I may not ever do that again. Or maybe I'll like, that's the cross. No, you need do to do that. Don't let it Yeah, you Yeah, but it's, and I, I want to say that because don't be afraid. But the other piece I want to say is, because I've seen this where in the workplace, men, you can get as angry as you want. That is the appropriate emotion. Actually, that's the only emotion that you can demonstrate at work is, you know, anger, frustration, things in that vein. Women, on the other hand, not allowed to show that, right? Especially if it's not contained well, like then that's like, what's going on? You're to this, you're to that. And that bridge or that creates an unfairness for men because men, just to let you know, I know that you cry. I know that you're sad. I know that you get this and it's okay. But you actually were told that the only way that you can really demonstrate that is through anger and frustration. And, you know, women were also told that they can't do it that way, but they can cry. They can absolutely cry. That's what we expect of them. They're just emotional beings that can't handle their stuff. Like challenge that. We can both be both of those things.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And, And being allies for each other is how we make that change. So, you know, when you hear yourself saying the things, when you're um, challenging somebody's performance based on how they speak, how they dress, how they look, like that's got to be a clue to the fact that that's not appropriate. You know, let's think about this. And it's to catch yourself in that and recognise it. And also when you hear other people doing it saying okay is that right is that cool is that what we should be doing you know here's another perspective on it so maybe you don't like how uh you know Sinead speaks particularly but what's important is what she's actually
0: saying (laughs) so (laughs) how can we (laughs) listen to that how can we be curious? I once had someone, we were booking a speaker and the speaker had um, in the US a southern accent. And some there was one individual that really took issue with it. But here's how I look at it. We actually are a global organization, meaning that everyone's accent is going to be so different and nuanced based on whether English is their second language, where they grew up, like. It's all relative, right? We're just getting these are distractions that are taking away from really important messages. But let's talk about the the differences culturally and then we're going to dive into how to bridge the competence gap. What do you notice as like the cultural nuances?
1: So I grew up in the UK um, and those of you listening from outside the UK, you know, some of the stereotypes you see are not too far from the truth. So the, um, what you call them, the Hugh Grant in <laughs> Four Weddings and a Funeral uh, and those things, whilst we're not all that posh, that real self-deprecating way of getting on is a reality. You know, I'll just minimise myself until you can't see me is is a real cultural thing and so both men and women do it but women definitely do it a lot more and so that's going to have a major impact on your confidence and I'll never forget actually when I was in the corporate world I used to go and deliver training uh across the U.S. and and whatever and I went to do my first ever training and it was actually in Canada and um I couldn't get over how many questions I got asked. So all the way through, they were interrupting me and asking questions. And I said to one of them at the end of it, how come everybody's got so many questions? Why do they need to know so so many things? And they said, we get rewarded in school for asking questions. It's a real encouraged behavior, and it is a good behavior to have. But this is the thing, our society, our schooling, uh, the expectations turn us into what we are. And it it was very much a culture here for children of, you know, be seen and not heard. (laughs) So the quieter you are, the better you are. And when you look at which things are being rewarded, where you can see, you know, Americans would be known for being seen to be much more confident and outgoing. Uh, certainly, in my part of the world, and then when you take that into other cultures, when there's so many different expectations placed on men and women um, from religious and cultural expectations, then you can see we we do have we do get put into different boxes. That can have an impact on how we're able to project ourselves and that how confident we feel in different situations. So those things absolutely have to be taken into account,
0: yes, well, and here's the opening for anyone that's listening, and even if if you're if you're inquisitive like I am because I got my hands slapped, right? I asked too many questions. And really, like I ask questions to understand the why. That's actually just how I process information. it. It's really hard for me to think without having the information. I'm not great sometimes that I, I just need to understand why, because then it helps me level and ground myself in the actions that I'm supposed to take. But yet I was met with in, in the culture that I was, you know, work culture that I had with Jen, we need you to be a yes man. And mm-hmm. so, you know, going into this, I love all these real life examples. Thank you so much to that organization <laughs> that gave me these fruitful, rich things. And was <laughs> uh, also a yes Bob as well. Yeah. But like this, I hope that we're now opening because we're going to dive into like the tips, right? The tips on how to bridge the competence gap. And no matter where, what chair you're sitting in right now, what labels, identities that you might have attached to yourself because of that upbringing, because of the work experiences, know that you always get to choose which ones to put on and to take off. And so keep your mind open, challenge yourself, because Sinead's going to walk through how to bridge the confidence gap. Let's hear it. Where do you start?
1: Well, a great place to start. And this one, my clients get a bit quakey at this. I will. I will admit. it. But a good place to start is by getting feedback but i have a really specific way of getting feedback because if you have a confidence issue the absolute worst question you can ask anybody is what are my weaknesses or what do you think i'm not good at or ask them for any negative feedback whatsoever now i'm not saying we go into uh, an alternate reality where we don't have weaknesses but think about well it would do your confidence good to to know What I'm strong at? Where do you see me having the most impact? How do I add value? And instead of asking for weaknesses, you know, what could I do more of to have more impact? What things do you think I could do instead? And so you're asking for constructive, forward moving actions that you can actually take. And that is such powerful and amazing feedback because. Other people can really help you see your blind spots, but they don't need to shine a light on them so that you can't move off,
0: (laughs) which is often what what happens. Yeah. Yeah, or where we get stuck, we hear it and we just hear the opinion. I like that you added, it might be the perception, right? The feedback that they're giving you, but it's matched with action. So to the leaders that are giving feedback, also thinking about the appropriate action, but if you're receiving, ask for the action. What yeah. would that look like? How can you do more? I think that's really a really important point that you just made, Sinead, Of like, I'm not just going to take this as a label. I am going to do something with it. Yeah. Uh, I, curiosity. What do you recommend as it ter- in terms of like who you get feedback from? Like do, is Are you really supposed to open it up to everyone? Are you you supposed to close that a little bit? What's your guidance for that?
1: Only ask people that you respect for feedback. So people that you genuinely feel you can learn from and you value their opinion. Like, why would you ask somebody who you don't value in the first place what they're going to share with you? Because the likelihood is, is it's going to, you're going to, sweat over it you're gonna you know focus on it but think about who around me who in my organization or who that I've worked with previously do I really value and respect and know can give me insightful feedback that's gonna
0: benefit me And those are definitely the people. Thank you for putting the guardrails on that. Because no, do not ask your neighbor that you don't like, your colleague that's rude to you. Uh Uh-uh, those are the wrong people. And I had a friend that once said, like, I only take feedback if I know it's coming from a place of love, you know, where I know that they genuinely care. And I thought that was a really cool perspective because people can be really critical sometimes just because they have things going on. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah,
1: so feedback should be a gift. And we all like gifts that are wrapped properly and have people have taken care over choosing them. And so you don't want one that you want to put in the, the trash.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Or that like, like adds to your own head trash. What So what comes after feedback? So for bridging the confidence gap, the first thing we're doing is building our awareness. And one way to do that is feedback. Then yeah. what comes after so that? Then
1: Right, I have a real thing that you've got to focus on your strengths. So part of your feedback is asking about those strengths. What do you see me doing well? How do I have impact? But also do your own inventory of yourself strengths. And I find people can be a bit, oh, I don't know what I'm strong at. But actually your strengths are the things that you do easily. So think about when you just are in your most productive mode and when you're getting things done and you know you almost get lost in time you're in the zone that is when you are using your absolute strengths so what is it you're doing and using them and the magical thing about strengths is that when you use them they make you feel strong you automatically feel confident That is when we are in our best possible place. So your job to perform well in life and for your organisation, for your business is to use your strengths as often as possible. So now I know what they are. How can I use more of them every day? And you'll be walking around like a a ninja strength when you're doing that, you know, because it's all there.
0: It's well, And it's so important to understand who you are. When I was in my 20s, I you know, got the job that, it, by my 20s definition, was so exciting and so glamorous. And I just wanted to be a buyer one day. Like They get to travel even more. They get to go to fancy things, whatever all the perks were. And here's the thing that I actually was always turning my cheek to. My natural strengths are communication. It's connecting with others. What were your roles when you're working in a buying office? It's typically more analytical. It's finance driven. But because I start, I compared myself, the people that I worked with that were like me, I would always compare myself. Am I good enough for them? Am I, am I doing it? And so then I feel like I almost grabbed their identity of maybe their strengths and their aspirations and made them my own because I wasn't rooted in my own confidence. And so when I didn't make it to buyer, it was so devastating for me. and I mean, I didn't leave. I left before I could have gotten to that, but like, it was still devastating to abort that dream because by comparison, that was my dream, even though it had nothing to do with my strengths. Like, and there are people likely sitting there like telling themselves that they're not good enough because they're comparing themselves to the wrong path. Yeah. I'm uh, curious about your thoughts on that. <laughs> Well, that's why you
1: really have to connect in with yourself. It's all about you. It's a bit like we were talking about appearance before. We could put way too much on, you know, look at the perfection we need in makeup and hair and everything that's put out there on social media. That stuff all makes you feel really bad. But what makes you feel really good is when you get in touch with you and what you love. And when I spoke about my my really tough time in my career, um, it was because I was in that comparison mode. I wasn't working to my strengths. And when I stopped and just really connected in with what do I love doing? What do I get excited about? Where do I really make the biggest difference? And it was in communicating with people and understanding them and trying to connect with them. And I had devalued all of those things because I wasn't good at programming. Yes. (laughs) But yet nobody could get, you know, none of the programmers could get the right work without me going and connecting with people to find out, well, what really is the problem here? And how can we make that work? And what would make a difference for you? And so I was like, yeah, I can't do what they do. But when I realized that what I can do is just as important and in a lot of situations, even more important, then I was like, ah, now, now I know my value. And it's okay. all in that understanding your strengths. So while it can feel hard, it's it's about tapping into that. And a really simple thing you can do is journal um, every day and just write down what did I do well today? Or what wouldn't have happened today if I wasn't
0: there? Yes, I love that. Great tip and great additional story. You got to see and own those strengths. Don't hide them. What comes next? So once we understand and identify our strengths and, you know, we finally look for ways that maybe we can apply them. Maybe that's at a new job. Maybe that's asking for a different opportunity within your role. What comes after that?
1: So I'm a great believer in preparing. So preparing your messaging, thinking about who am I going to talk to? What do I want the outcome to be here? What do I want the person to think, feel, see, or do as a result of us speaking? And then practicing that, like, what's the message I need to share? So think about, you know, if you're a big sports person, like Serena Williams is one of my absolute heroes. Do you think she ever got on the court and hadn't practiced every single type of shot that could come at her? Not a chance, but yet we think we can just go and wing it in everyday life and we're going to get the results. But no, if you practice, you know, here's what I want, here's what I need to say to get it. And then here's how I need to show up to do that. So it's, it's message, practice, and then mindset, how am I showing up
0: to deliver that? So getting myself in the zone to do right. it. Get yourself in the zone, message, mindset. What was the next one? Message. So message, practice, mindset. Message, practice, mindset. If you want to be the Serena Williams of your life, not comparing <laughs> yourself to her, but you do need to prepare yeah. for those moments of your own performance. What's your final step on how to bridge the confidence gap?
1: then it's all about building your support team around you, your allies and your network, because you don't achieve anything on your own. So reach out, connect with people, let them know what you want to achieve and ask for their help and offer your help. You know, how can I help you achieve what you want to do? But when you have people behind you, rooting for you, supporting you, um, championing championing that's easy for me to say championing you then things happen and and that's when the results really start to to multiply and so those are some of the things that i would really help my clients do and relationships will will get you
0: everywhere oh my gosh we know that relationships are the key to our success because we are Interdependent, not independent. Sinead, I have really enjoyed our conversation today. How does our audience get in touch with you? Well, the two
1: best places are my website. So, GenWomen, GNWomen.global Women.Global, and uh, on LinkedIn. I'm Sinead Sharkey Steenson on LinkedIn. And I love a personal message. Send me a message. Let me
0: know what you thought, how I can help, and uh, I'd be happy to connect. Sinead, thank you so much for joining our audience today to talk about the confidence gap, something that I'm going to say the majority of people struggle with. Thank you for your time and your expertise and just your passion for the topic and helping to serve. Thank you so much, Sinead. Oh,
1: thank you for having me. It's been an absolute joy.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Leadership Habit Podcast. I love my conversation with Sinead. I love the topics that we got into. Why are we the way that we are? Would we show up different or how would we show up if we were raised a different way, born in a different environment or a country? So much curiosity and so many questions. But if you want to connect with a Sinead sharkey Steenson, and I goof up on that name, but it's Sinead Sharky Stevenson, you can head on over to her website, genwomen.global.com. And there you can take her free quiz how to get promoted and receive a tailored set of free career and confidence tools to help you where you want to go. So head on over if you want to take that free quiz to genwomen.global backslash quiz. And of course, if you enjoyed today's podcast, share it with a friend, share it with a friend or colleague or a leader that you know might be struggling with confidence. And if you want to develop your leadership skills, head on over to crosscom.com. We can offer you a two-hour complimentary leadership skills workshop, and we would love to come in and talk with your team. And of course, if you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review on your favorite podcast streaming service. Until next time.